Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Joyce DeRiga, author of a new book from liturgical press titled Helen Prejean, Death Rose Nun. Joyce DeRiga has served as editor of Chicago Catholic, the official newspaper for the Archdiocese of Chicago, since 2007. She also oversees content for CatholicNewWorld.com and the newspaper's social media efforts. Prior to going to Chicago, she was the associate editor of Our Sunday Visitor, a national Catholic news weekly. Her work appears regularly in local, regional, and national publications. Welcome to the show, Joyce. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. So how did you end up writing this biography about Sister Helen? I was kind of, it just sort of fell in my email box. Liturgical Press was looking for someone from Chicago to do um, a proposal and a story on Sister Helen Prejean, and it's because her archives are at DePaul University in Chicago, so they thought it would be easy enough for someone to get out there. So, and I, you know, I had heard of her before, and I'd interviewed her a couple times like when I was at OSB and stuff, and um, she's just an amazing woman, kind of a rock star, so it was a no-brainer to say, oh, yes, I'd love to do it. Yeah. So did you have a lot of conversations with her and to prepare for the book, and did you use a lot of other sources as well? We had three phone conversations, um, and then most of it was the Demian Walking. She wrote another book called The Death of Innocence, which is about wrongful execution. She's accompanied a few people and, um, that have been wrongfully accused. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, the movie and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but the archives I thought were really interesting because there are handwritten letters from the inmates that she accompanied there. And it's just very powerful, you know, when you see somebody's handwriting and, you know, you know that they are going to their death shortly and all that kind of stuff. So that was really powerful for me. So there are a lot of those kind of letters in those in those archives? For the people that she's accompanied, six people. And mm-hmm. for the archives have the letters for those folks and some other ones. But the first one was Patrick Sonier, who um, was executed. And so those were really really moving because he described her each drew a picture of the cell for her he would draw her little pictures and so it was kind of watching her journey evolve through um with him how did she get started becoming a, a spiritual director to prisoners on death row it certainly wasn't her first ministry was it no she was working in the projects um teaching kind of helping people get their GEDs and learning how to read and that kind of stuff but um, in New Orleans, and one of her colleagues worked with inmates on death row and approached her and said, hey, you know, would you want to write to this guy? And she said yes, and that totally changed her life. It was just a letter. She didn't think he'd write her back, and he did, and then they started this correspondence, and then she wanted to go see him, and he had a choice to to fill out the visitor form. Was it um, just a regular visitor or a spiritual director? And he put down spiritual director, and that enabled her to, spiritual directors can accompany the person to their death. So that's, I mean, it's just its just a series of happenstances, right, that God put this in her life and changed her life. When she when she took that on, she really had no idea what she was getting into, right? Absolutely not. She talks about going in just blind and she was in over her head. She didn't know what she was doing. 
Um, and even that came to when her experience with the victim's family. She didn't think they would want um, to talk to her, so she didn't reach out to the ones that were associated with Patrick Sonia. And they, one of the fathers actually approached her and said, Sister, where are you? Where have you been? You know, we're Catholic, too, and you've been with Patrick and his brother, but you haven't come to see us. And that was another moment in her, sort of aha moment in her life where she realized that the victim's families um, needed the ministering to, and not all of them wanted to the death penalty for the um, the perpetrator. But they, but people were pressuring them, saying, "Hey, you know, you don't love your son or daughter enough if you don't want the death penalty for their killer or your wife or whatever." So it really opened up her eyes in a big way with that too. Yeah, you quote her in the book as saying that people are more than the worst thing they've ever done in their life. What does she mean by that? You know, that's that's been a big a big thing for me to understand. She um sanctity of life really, it's about the sanctity of life that that when you get to know the person you realize there's a whole I mean, yeah, if they if they did the crime, absolutely. You know, she believes they should be kept locked up and that kind of stuff, but not killed because everybody mm-hmm. has the um, sanctity of life. You know, even the person on death row who's done a heinous crime that you can't possibly imagine how they could do something like that and so cruel, but they still deserve that respect. And then she, and also I've learned through her that it's about our reaction to. It's about what it says about us as a society if we're, you know, doing an eye for an eye, we're killing somebody because they killed somebody, you know. Um, But that's been very powerful because you're seeing somebody as a person, right? I mean, you're seeing them as a little boy growing up with maybe being tossed from parent to parent or with uh, parents with addictions who were abusive or no parents at all or, you know, left to run on the streets. And you're, so you see the person behind and not just what she calls the monster. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned in the book Bud Welch, who's the father of Julie Welch, who was killed in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. Um, and that Bud, when I remember seeing him several times going around the country, uh, giving talks about the death penalty, and really he was very much opposed to it, uh, even for his own daughter's murder. Uh, he he said, and you quote him in the book, saying, my conviction is simple, more violence is not what Julie would have wanted. More violence will not bring Julie back. More violence only makes our society more violent. Is that the same kind of thing that Sister Helen realized as she was accompanying people on this? Yes, absolutely. It just... That's the whole thing of, you know, it's about us. It begets violence, begets violence, you know. And, you know, like people the, since the New, York, um, uh, the New York City bomber and then recently and all that, people have been saying, well, he should be put to death. Well, then it's like, but this is about, this is about us. Do we take the, the, the way that ISIS does and goes and kills everybody's families or, and where some societies have done that, or do we just lock him up for the rest of his life and... Um, is that the just thing to do? And let God work out when he when he dies. Um, it's it's very it's very hard, you know, because because these these people have committed really bad acts, but mm-hmm. um, it's bigger than than just that. And there's that sense that some people have that if we just simply put somebody away for life, that we're coddling them, that that now we're paying to to house them and feed them and do that for the rest of their life, and it's just much quicker to, to get it over with, to get it done with. Right, you know, and, and it's also, but and the, there's also some misunderstanding that it's less expensive 
to execute somebody. It's actually more expensive to put somebody on death row because they have there's this whole appeal process, and it goes on for years and years, and that's attorney's fees on both sides um, and all kinds of research fees and, you know, investigator fees and things like that. So it's actually cheaper to house somebody for the rest of their life than it is to execute them. And, you know, you and I being journalists, we've been able to see some of these prisons and stuff, and I'll tell you what, that's not that they're not it's not a happy place, you know. Right. Um I, I certainly wouldn't wanna go there. And certainly not spend the rest of my life there. That's not Amen. that's not what I would be about. You you mentioned a, a few minutes ago that uh Sister Helen obviously has spent a lot of time with those convicted on death row. She's accompanying six people, but she's also spends time meeting with the victims' families. What kinds of things has she learned from them and in those encounters? Well she learned um She's come to a great understanding of their grief and and the things that they go through. Um, certainly, how they need the support and how you know, and even how um, this kind of violence in your life can can destroy somebody. You know, because um, some of the victims' families can't get past it, and you know, they end up if they were married, they might end up divorced. They might end up, you know, turning to you know, alcohol or drugs to help numb things. It's just they're um they are victims, they do hurt and they they deserve our, our support just like those folks in prison. It's just really a, a tough thing all over and, and as Budward yeah. says, the death penalty is not gonna bring that person back. You know, not gonna bring that, that person back. No, and you know, another thing I've learned that I never thought of was the impact this has on the prison um the prison guards. They they get to know these people because they've they've been there so long, and they know them as people. Uh, on the wardens, you know, she's she's met and talked about different wardens who have um, had to execute people and the effect it's had on them. The elect, you know, when I was back um, in the Dead Man Walking, Patrick Sonier was executed by the electric chair in the movie. Tim Robbins changed it to um, lethal injection, but even to the folks that come in and adjust the equipment um, to the people who are, I mean, it, it, down to everybody, it affects everybody. Well, we've been talking with Joyce DeRiga about capital punishment and her new biography of Sister Helen Prejean, Death Rose Nun. After the break, we're going to talk some more about that, and uh, and we'll get into some other uh, really tough cases that, we, that are going on in the world right now. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. When Hannah Thurner saw more than 20,000 young people kneeling in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament November 17th at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, the experience was eye-opening and inspiring. Moments earlier, the stadium was filled with the loud, joyous music of Christian hip-hop band Toby Mac. Now, not a peep was heard as participants in the National Catholic Youth Conference peered intently at a consecrated host inside a monstrance. It made me realize that people around you are also broken and fallen and that you are not alone, said Thurner, a teen from St. Bernadette in Severn. The Archdiocese of Baltimore was well represented at the National Youth Gathering November 16th through the 18th with nearly 250 people from 27 parishes traveling to the event. In his homily at the closing Mass, November 18th, Los Angeles Archbishop Jose Gomez gave advice to help the youth do God's will and become holy. The most important thing is to pray, he said. If you make time for prayer every day, you will see a difference. Listen to Jesus even for a few minutes. Be consistent. Do it every day. 
For more, visit catholicreview.org. In the nation's capital, a $15 museum ticket and a pair of 3D glasses is just the passport Christian pilgrims and others need to experience what may be the holiest site in Christianity. Employing state-of-the-art technology, the National Geographic Museum in Washington, November 15th, opened an exhibit that virtually transports visitors to the streets of Jerusalem and through the doors of a small church that protects what is believed to be the site of Christ's burial and, to Christians, the site of his resurrection. For more, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore, and we're talking with Joyce DeRiga about her new biography of Sister Helen Prejean, Death Rose Nun. One of the things in the book that struck me was Sister Helen saying that when a lot of people hear about an unspeakable crime, they might feel the perpetrator deserves to die, but they aren't there to see the execution. She says it's easier to kill somebody. It's easy to kill somebody when you think of them as a monster or an animal, but it's really hard to kill a human being. And you know that that's part of the story that's in her book, Dead Man Walking. So if we look at some of these recent mass shootings, such as the one at the Baptist Church uh, in Sutherland Springs, Texas, or the country music concert in Las Vegas, both those killers died on the scene. But if they'd been captured alive, a lot of people would be calling for the death penalty. Why wouldn't that be a good idea? Why isn't that justice? Well, you know, and she's right. It's about shining a light on the whole process. I mean, she talks a lot about um, it could possibly be a violation of the U.N. Um, human Rights Accord that, we, that the United States signed because of the way that the, these folks are treated leading up to their death. I mean, when you... You put somebody, when they're going 
getting closer to the execution, they move them to the near the death house, and mm-hmm. they put them on a suicide watch because you know they're afraid that they're going to do something to end their life first. So this is that's like 24 hours a day. Lights are always on. People are always watching you. You're in a cement cell with often not often sleeping on a cement slab. You know, it's it. They she's seen people drop 20, 30 pounds in a month based on this because it's just an extreme um, action. So, in in the same thing of the way that they're executed, I mean, it's done in secret. It's not mm-hmm. something that the public ever really sees. There's a few people that get to see it. Um, it's done in the dark of night. It's done in the dark of night, exactly. And so it's just it's a it's a secretive thing, and that and then you're really seeing that humanity. You're seeing that person being stripped back down to to um, to just that person. You know, they often are going to the the death chamber thinking that they're not going to be able to walk there because they're just so scared. And so, um, but it, I mean, it is a hard issue. I know I, I get into discussions with people a lot about well, I just can't. What happens if something happened to my my kids, or what? If I don't know mm-hmm. that I could um, could want. So it's not an it's not an easy topic. I haven't quite figured out the best. Um, argument on that, just that um, it's really back to what I've been, I keep saying is it's it's about what it says about us as a society, what the ramifications are. You know, what, like if you were quoting Biden, the violence it kind of ripple. It has a ripple effect. You know, it doesn't just affect those people. And um, and you know, like we've said before, life in prison isn't exactly a, a you know life in a nice hotel with, you know, all kinds of the amenities. Yeah, and I find it ironic that if the state is ready to put somebody to death, they put them on suicide watch because they mm-hmm. don't want that person to kill themselves before we have a chance to kill them. Yeah. It's just the, the logic of that escapes me, uh, and, I, and I don't know how, how people reconcile that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and she also talks about, and I, you know, you've, from um, Illinois, how you've got people who can't keep track of parking tickets or can't, you know, in Illinois, we didn't have a budget for almost two years, you know, and these are the people who, who are evaluating whether you should live or die, you know, and is that the best possible way to to go as well? Yeah. And you'd figure now, and uh, along that case, they, they stopped being able to get the, the drug cocktail that they used right. to use for lethal injection. So now they're just experimenting on what works to kill people. I mean, that's what the Nazis did in Auschwitz, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing now. And and they find with some of these botched executions, they're actually embalming these people alive. I mean, that's a horrible... But again, I know people say, well, they killed so many people. Um, I guess that's not really an easy... I don't really have an easy answer. Yeah. And that's... I, this is a, it's a... It is a tough issue. You know, Pope Francis recently uh, marked the 25th anniversary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And at that time, he noted that St. John Paul II had already amended the catechism's discussion on the death penalty. And at that time, uh, Pope John Paul had said that there were few cases, if any, when the, ju- when the death penalty is justified today, because modern society has an opportunity to, to keep people in prison for life so that they can't harm other, others. Uh, Pope Francis is now even saying that that teaching should be even more explicitly against capital punishment. He said the death penalty heavily wounds human dignity and it is an inhuman measure. Why do you think the church's teaching on the death penalty has evolved in this way? And and has Sister Helen 
had something to do with that, her discussions on this? I think it's evolved because, you know, society has evolved. We have more places where you can keep someone locked up safely for um, for the rest of their lives. Um, where she came in was she, you mentioned about Dump Up 2 and the catechism. Um, she wrote a letter to him right before the catechism, that catechism version came out. She was mm-hmm. offered, you know, to go to a room to talk to him, but a good friend of hers was dying, so she um, chose to write him a letter instead. And she laid out for him all the reasons why people were going to abuse that, well, in certain cases. And they were. You know, the um, district attorney in New Orleans was doing it, and some other folks were already quoting him saying, this is one of those cases. So she she laid it all out, and then she hears that that was hand-delivered to him, and it changed his mind. So he, they had, she found, next thing she knows, they're putting the catechism on hold, and when it comes out, it has the new, um, the updated, thinking on the death penalty from John Paul II that, you know, it wasn't something to be used in, in uh, the church anymore. You know in the book that uh, Sister Helen believes that the American people are good people, but that they just haven't ever reflected deeply on the issue of the death penalty, that if they did, they would never condone it. How does she continue to try to change minds about the death penalty now, today, years after the book and the movie Dead Man Walking? Well, she's one way she's writing another book. Um, it's the prequel to Dead Man Walking called River of Fire on her personal journey. But she's, I mean, she's, I don't know how she does it. You know, she's in her 70s. She's still going strong. She's on all over Twitter and Facebook all the time following these executions and trying to um, evangelize people on it. She stopped temporarily traveling to because she had an um, emergency back surgery, but she's supposed to start back up in the new year. But she'll just go anywhere. She'll um she it's not like she's watching who's who's in the World Series or, you know, who's winning the Stanley Cup or, or who's on Broadway. You know, she's dedicated one hundred percent to this. She's feels completely convicted that when she left that death chamber, um, when Patrick Sonier was executed that uh again in the middle of the night that this was what God was calling her to do, to take people to both sides of the cross, she says, and see this issue. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, I admire her uh, spirit. And, you know, she's very rational. Like, she's not, she'll get all kinds of these comments, and maybe that just comes from experience, but she's unflappable. You know, she's she's heard all the arguments, and she answers them, um, recognizing the other person's dignity on the other end. What changed about you when you were writing this? Well, my understanding of the death penalty came um group got stronger you know i think i was on that sense of well in certain cases you know like if we can't keep society safe like maybe in um not necessarily in the united states but maybe in some of the middle eastern countries or something i thought well maybe but um i've really come to understand that that it is about us and it's um and knowing that it's about people you know we talk about um in chicago the gun violence and stuff and people will be saying you know they should just you know get a job and get you know get out of those situations or whatever. But when you actually meet the people and you find out what their childhoods were like or what their life is like now, and, um, you know, I've been blessed to come from, you know, two loving parents in a um, suburban environment and didn't have to face with some of these kids that we meet in the neighborhoods in Chicago when we're out covering stuff. Um, so it's really helped me to see that things aren't black and white. You, it's, it's, helped me to see that people in all these situations are human beings 
and that goes back to the people are worth more than the worst thing they've ever done. Right. So tell us where, tell our re, uh, listeners where uh, they can get a copy of uh, Helen Prejean, Death Rose None. You can go to um, liturgicalpress.org or Amazon has them. Um, just type in Prejean and you'll get it. It should and come it's up. It's a quick book. It's not very uh, long, and I wrote it um, kind of like a seven long story, so it's not like a big theological type of thing. It's meant to be an easy read. An easy read. Everybody's busy. But it, but it makes yeah. you think. I hope so. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. We've been talking with Joyce Tariga, editor of Chicago Catholic newspaper in Chicago, and uh, the writer of the biography of Sister Helen Prejean, Death Rose Nun. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Fifteen years after the Catholic bishops of the United States drafted mandatory policies for protecting children and holding abusers accountable in the Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Baltimore is conducting a prayer and education campaign this fall. It will remind its institutions and its people of the priority and importance of child protection. For more information about this initiative and about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.